you ever look at the before and after pictures of different kinds of things? I wanted to show you a few today. Uh, uh, here's one. This is the before picture. And uh, the after picture might uh, shock you because usually you think improvement, right? Here's after. Yeah, you know what the difference is? That's after two and a half years of using meth. That's the difference. Now, here's another one. This is, uh, I guess this is before, this is just a solo picture. This must be before electricity in this area. Can you read it? It says, tech support for Microsoft, Bombay. Here's another one. Uh, I can't remember what this lady's name is for the life of me this morning, but this is the lady that won uh, Britain's Got Talent. Okay, this is her before picture. And then her, she is on the Today Show. Incredible. You know what they, the difference. So that's a good before and after. Here's another one. I'm not sure about this. If it's an advertisement for Colgate, if that's the after picture of using Colgate, might want to try a different brand. I don't know. I think there's one more here. I think this is before the driving lessons. I'm not sure how that happened exactly. I'm not sure if I feel worse for the car driver or the owner of the boat. Before and after. Now, usually when we think before and after, we think about, well, at least with people, we think about physical changes, don't we? Do you remember that old saying, though, that uh, beauty is only skin deep, ugly goes all the way through? What about changing the things that lie beneath the surface? Can they truly be changed? Do you know the name Brian Welch? Or maybe you would know him as Brian Head Welch. He was the lead guitarist and co-founder of the group Korn. His life was one binge after another for years after years while he was on the road traveling with Korn. He would, lots of alcoholic abuse, lots of drugs. He would tell later in his story that his life was really just spiraling out of control. Along the way, he got married and for a short time life improved, but then it was right back to the binging when they were on the road. Then along came a daughter and again for a little while he cleaned up his life, but ultimately right back to binging. So much so that his wife left him and she became involved in drugs and ended up dying and he somehow ended up with custody of his daughter. And through that time period, he had a couple of guys that he was invested in business who were Christ followers and they began to just plant some seeds in his life, never overwhelming, but just planting some seeds. And somehow, he says, one day he found himself in church. He heard someone talking about God's grace and in that moment he was prompted to say, I want that in my life. He went home that night after accepting Christ as his Savior and began to read the Bible, but at the same time continued to use speed. So every day for the next week, he was reading the Bible, but using speed at the same time and and saying to God, God, if you are really real, then take my desire for these drugs away. And by the end of that week, after he continued to pray that, his desire for those drugs was gone. And today, Brian Welsh is following Christ passionately with all of his heart. He now uses his music for God's honor and not for his own. Because a short time after he made the decision to follow Christ, as they were getting ready to renew their contract with Korn, everybody else had signed off on this new record deal, but Brian just decided to walk away from it all. Thousands of dollars and his career. Because he had determined it was better to follow God. Can God really change what is beneath the surface? The answer is yes. Now all of us have some stuff beneath the surface, don't we? 
all of us have some stuff in the past that we're not so proud of. Stuff that we'd like to, to get rid of. Stuff that we'd like to undo. Brian Welch is not the only story of change, is he? In fact, we know lots of stories of people who somehow dramatically, even though sometimes it seems hard for us to imagine, doesn't it? Somebody who's headed so directly in the wrong direction who suddenly and miraculously changes the direction of their lives. But maybe it shouldn't surprise us because there are people right here in this room that could tell the same story. And the Bible is filled with stories of people who experience the same phenomena. In fact, probably the greatest story of that kind of miraculous change is the story of Paul. Paul was an absolute enemy of Christians. He had made it his wife's mission at one point to stop the spread of Christianity by killing as many Christians as possible. And yet Paul, one day as he is on a road trip to Damascus, has this incredible encounter face-to-face with Jesus and it literally changes the direction of his life forever. We've been in this series called Elevate where we're talking about how to elevate our lives, how to take them to the next level and to change our view of the world and of life. Paul's story is a story about elevating life. The change that he experiences elevates his life. I guess you could say spiritually, Paul went from the basement to the penthouse and it changed his view of life forever. So I'm going to look at his story for a few minutes today. And if you've got your Bibles, as always, would you take those out right now and find your way to Acts chapter 9. Acts, again, is in the New Testament. We've been in this book for a little while, but in case you haven't been here or don't know where it is, uh, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And if you get the Romans, you've gone too far. We're going to be in chapter 9. Let me tell you what happens, though, is happening leading up to chapter 9. The Christianity, the number of Christ followers, is increasing rapidly during this time. But there are a lot of people, a lot of religious leaders at that time, who don't like what is happening. And so they're doing everything they possibly can to stifle and stop the spread of Christianity. And in chapter 8, though, you find a story where Peter, our Christ follower, has a chance to share the story of Jesus with a leader from Ethiopia. In fact, as Peter shares the story of Jesus, this leader from Ethiopia is so moved that he actually stops his entourage and says to Peter, Peter, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And unlike Dan, he wasn't worried about the temperature of the water. He just wanted to have that connection with Jesus. And then we get into Paul's story in chapter 9. Jump and look at that with me, beginning in verse 1. It simply says, meanwhile, in other words, meanwhile, while all this other stuff is going on, meanwhile, while Christianity is spreading rapidly, Saul, which was Paul's original name, his name has changed from Saul to Paul later in his life, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul is bent on finding, tracking down as many Christ followers as he can, arresting them, and ultimately, many of them will be put to death. And so he's done that in Jerusalem as much as he can, and he isn't satisfied with that. A lot of the Christians have fled to Damascus. And so Paul goes to the high priest and says, can I have a letter that allows me to go to Damascus and begin to round up the Christians there? Maybe he actually had a hit list of people that he was looking for. Now, if you, would have, if you were to read the things that Paul writes later in life, and Paul writes a majority of the New Testament, 
It would be hard for you to imagine that this was Paul now. Because here is Paul. He, he would be like a terrorist today. Because he was, his motivation was these religious beliefs. And because of these religious beliefs and what he thought God was supposed to do, he was bent on rounding up and aggressively pursuing as many Christ followers as he possibly could. And it would have been hard later in life if you were to read the things that Paul writes in the New Testament. And he writes a large portion of the rest of the New Testament. If you were to read what he writes about Jesus, you would think, well, this guy must have always loved Jesus. He must have always followed Jesus. Not even close. He is a terrorist bent on aggressively pursuing these Christians. In fact, later in 1 Timothy, Paul writes about his own life And he says of himself, I was a persecutor. I was a a blasphemer. I was a violent aggressor. That's the kind of guy that Paul is. But there is a huge change that is about to take place in his life, beginning in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Not necessarily a reference to God. If you go back and look at the original word for Lord there, it's really more like the word Sir. He's not sure at this moment exactly who this voice is. Who are you, Sir? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine walking down the street in your neighborhood this afternoon and you hear this voice, loud, booming voice, but you can't find anybody around? Pretty unnerving, huh? Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. At the same time that Paul is in Damascus, blind, and I'm sure wondering what's going to happen next, God speaks to a Christ follower named Ananias. And He says to Ananias, Hey, Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus. There's this guy named Saul there that is blind, and uh, you want you to lay hands on him, restore his sight. Now, I don't know if Ananias, well, it says in this, Chapter, he actually speaks back to God. And I don't blame him in a way. He says back to God, "Uh, God, maybe you're not up to date on current events. Maybe you're not really keeping track of what's happening lately, but Saul, he's the guy that's been going around arresting and murdering Christians. I might be on his list. You really want me to go see him? God says, yeah, I really want you to go to him. And Ananias, to his credit, He exemplifies far more faith than maybe I would have had in this moment. He gets up and he goes to Saul. He finds him. He goes into his house. And the story continues in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediate something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
talk about a dramatic change. Paul's life is forever changed. That's the power of grace. And Paul in this moment discovers that God is a second chance God. His life is given a whole new direction. And I think this dramatic change that happens in Paul's life gives us a chance to learn some lessons from this story. Here's the first lesson. Everyone has a dark side. Everyone has a dark side. I read this week that in Los Angeles for a period of time there was a um, a thing called the Apology Sound Off Line. This company started up this phone service where someone could call in and if they were feeling guilty about something they had done wrong, some sin that they had committed, they could actually call this line and they had two minutes to leave their verbal confession. They were receiving as many as 200 calls a day. People calling in, apologizing and admitting to everything from adultery to cheating in business to rape to lying. Incredible list of things. And I wonder, what prompted people to make that phone call? I think it was their guilt and it was this sense that Paul had, and if we're honest, all of us have too, that all of us have a dark side. Paul says he does. I've got this dark side. There are some things about my life. Now, just imagine this. Imagine you didn't know the story of Paul. That you had never heard about his life. And later in life, after all of these events had taken place, you just happened to meet him one day and you sat and listened to him teach about Jesus. You, you heard him talk about his relationship with Jesus Christ. If you just met him in that moment, could you ever have imagined that Paul had this past where he was this kind of wacko terrorist who was tracking down and arresting Christians? It would have been hard to imagine, wouldn't it? Because a lot of times we, we look at just the outside. And sometimes the outside can look so good, but for all of us, there is a past that isn't so pleasant or pretty. There is a dark side. Now, Paul would have been happy to tell you about his dark side. In fact, he said something like this on a regular basis in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this is a true saying, and everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I was the worst of them all. Paul wouldn't have let you forget that he was a sinner. And all of us, if we're honest, we'd have to admit it too. In fact, maybe some of us in the room today would want to argue with Paul a little bit and say, you know that title of worst sinner? Paul, I think maybe that should go to me as much as to you. But here's the truth we need to know. God loves us in spite of whatever is in our past. No matter what's hidden under the rocks of our lives in the past, God loves us. And there is nothing that we can do, there was nothing that Paul could do that would keep God from loving us. There's a word in the old hymn, Amazing Grace. The word is wretch. And I've heard people sometimes say, you know, we ought to take that word out of that hymn because that makes people sound so bad, so awful. But you know what? That word is true. Paul would tell you, I was a wretch. 
And the truth is, before Jesus, so were we because of our sin. But you know what I notice about Jesus as you study His life? Jesus never condemned people for their past. When people came to Him who were found themselves wrapped up in sexual sin, or people who were dabbling in the occult, people who were cheating others in business, Jesus' response to them was always consistent. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. People, when they approached Jesus, found love and acceptance. And Paul would say to us, if you're a sinner, then that's just an opportunity for God to display His love in your life. Do you know that in the New Testament there are 155 references to grace? 130 of those references were written by Paul. He understood what it was like to go from someone who had such a dark side to someone who had experienced God's grace. Which I think points us to a second lesson here. No one is beyond hope. No one is beyond hope. I wonder, what emotions did Paul feel for those three days as he sat in Damascus waiting for something to happen? As he sat in utter darkness because of his blindness, what things went through Paul's mind? Was it fear? Did he worry that his sight might never be returned to him, that he would spend the rest of his life in blindness, darkness? Was it guilt? As he sat there, the images of Christians that he had arrested flashed in front of his mind one after another. Was it confusion? Because after all, everything that Paul had believed about God and what he thought he was supposed to believe about the coming of the Messiah had now been turned upside down. Was it desperation? Was he struggling to think, how do I fix this? How do I overcome this? How do I get out of this? Was it depression? Did he think, is this the end of the road? Did he lose all hope? Did he think, maybe even about taking his own life during those three days? I don't know what he thought, but I'm sure there were a variety of emotions. And then, then Ananias shows up. And do you remember what verse 17 says? It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. And I wonder if Paul thought to himself, Brother Saul, you're calling me Brother Saul? Someone who was on my hit list? You are referring to me as Brother Saul? And in that moment, did Paul suddenly realize there was hope and that God was again a second chance God? Did he experience in that moment God's grace in a way that said there is a future. There is something else that God wants to do in my life. Do you know the story of John Newton? John Newton was born in the late 1700s. As he uh, grew up and became a teenager, he ended up in the military, in Britain's military. And after serving there for a while, ultimately he ended up on a slave trading ship and became the captain of his own slave trading ship. John Newton was known as an incredibly cruel captain. Cruel to his own crew, 
but especially cruel to the slaves that he would haul from Africa back to Europe. He hauled them literally by the thousands over several years. And one night, this life that was so spiraling out of control in the wrong direction, he and his crew ended up in a terrible storm on the ocean. And he cried out in the midst of that storm, Lord, have mercy on us. And somehow he and the crew and his ship managed to survive that storm. And after they did, John Newton determined that was only by the grace of God. And he determined to leave behind the slave trading business. He decided to begin to follow Jesus. And passionately he began to follow. In fact, so passionately that a few years later, John Newton became a pastor. And a few years after that, John would pin the words to what is probably the most familiar hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. He wrote about how God's grace had impacted his life. He called himself a wretch. But he also wrote about the hope that that grace had restored to his life. Hard to believe, isn't it? Someone's life could make that kind of change to the point where he would write those words. And of any hymn that's probably ever been written, even people who don't go to church, if you ask them about Amazing Grace, they can probably tell you at least a few of the words or what the song's about. No one is beyond hope. One more lesson, lesson number three from this story. Anyone can find a new beginning with God. Anyone can find a new beginning with God. God took Paul a violent, aggressive terrorist, and used him as one of the most significant men in the early church. Paul became an incredible leader of the early church. As I said earlier, he wrote a lot of the New Testament that that means so much to us today. God took Paul, this life that was totally out of control, and used him to do incredible things. In fact, Paul would write this about himself in 1 Timothy 1, verse 16. He said, but that is why God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. Paul says, God gave me a new beginning. And He did it so that I could be an example to others. You know what? I don't have to worry about the past because God has promised to forget my past. God is more concerned with what you are becoming than what you were. God is focused on giving us new beginnings when we fully accept His grace in our lives. I am not chained to the past. I am not chained to the dark pit of the past. I have a bright future. Because of the grace of God. And Paul says that if I fully accept that grace, that I become example of God's great patience in my life. You know what? The power of God's grace has the power to allow us to soar on new wings. God's grace has the power to elevate our lives to a level we could only experience through His grace. But here's the thing. Here's the thing for all of us. I have to make a choice about that grace. I have to choose whether or not I'm going to accept Jesus 
I have to choose grace. Would you pray with me? God, thank You for Your grace. And God, I pray that You'd help us to understand the width and the breadth and the depth of Your love and Your grace. God, I pray for people in this room right now who have heard about Your grace, but they've never made the choice to accept that grace by accepting Jesus. Thank You for the power that grace has to change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray.